Welcome to our podcast, How Would You Beat? In each episode, we pick a company and talk about how you could use jobs to be done innovation methods to beat that company's product. We'll discuss innovation theory and explain the methods so you can put the theory into practice at your company. I'm Jay Haynes, the founder and CEO of Thrive. That's Thrive without the vowels, thrv.com. We help product marketing and sales teams use jobs to be done innovation methods to build, market, and sell great products. I'm here with my colleague, Jared Ranieri. Welcome. So this week, we're going to focus on Tesla. Um, normally, we ask, how would you beat a company? So we would ask, how would you beat Tesla? But we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to ask, why is Tesla winning so in other words, why is Tesla beating its competitors? Uh, today, um, Tesla's market cap hovers around $180 billion, which is about five times larger than General Motors. So clearly something's happening with Tesla that is indicating that they're winning in the market. At least uh, investors certainly think they're going to continue to win. So why are they winning? It's, it's such an interesting question that we'll explore today. And we'll look at every element of jobs to be done to help explain Tesla. So functional elements of the job, uh, consumption jobs and emotional jobs. So if, if you were a competitor, how would you beat Tesla? And we'll also look at why Tesla is beating its competitors. I love this topic uh, because I've actually wanted to get a Tesla for a long time, but uh, I don't have a garage currently, and it seems to be a requirement for a Tesla. Uh, I have to get that piece of my house built. Um, but So instead of buying a Tesla, I actually bought stock a while ago. Um, and when I was doing the research for this particular podcast, I saw this article from May of 2018 when Goldman Sachs recommended uh, to sell Tesla uh, because they needed to raise $10.5 billion in capital, according to Goldman, to make it through 2020. Uh, at the time, uh, Tesla was trading in May of 2018. They were trading at around $200. Uh, I bought a little under there and is now trading at $900 plus, almost $1,000. So Goldman was wrong. Um, I, I evidently was right for now, um, and I'm happy to say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I bought a Tesla, and you bought Tesla's stock. So want to trade? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather rather own the stock than Tesla, but yeah. I do really like my Tesla, so we can get into why that yeah, is. Yeah, I'm going to use the stock to buy the car eventually. Uh, yeah. So. Brilliant strategy. Yeah. And so why was I so bullish? Um, well, when we look at product strategy, we think about what is the job that's trying to get done? Uh, what are the unmet needs in that market? What is the market size? Um, who are the customers they're targeting? And how are they delivering customer value? And the Tesla strategy is sort of fascinating when you look back to when they first launched, because they launched with a Roadster right? So who was the customer for a Roadster? Well, it was, it cost over a hundred thousand dollars. I remember, um, it went super, super fast. And I do remember the mileage, Jay. I don't, I don't remember the mileage off the top of my head. I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so, but it wasn't a practical car at all. Um, so the customer was a super premium segment and what was the job? Cause are you going to use the, a Roadster to, to go from A to B? 
And how did their short-term strategy affect their where they are today, where they're selling Model 3? Yeah, I think that's a great point to start to the discussion. So, uh, and if we break down the jobs here, uh, we haven't talked about this as much in previous episodes, but there are functional jobs. That's the goal you're trying to achieve. And of course, with a car, you're trying to get to your destinations on time. Um, and you're also, uh, you've got consumption jobs, which are how you purchase it and maintain it, et cetera. We'll get into that. But also there's clearly an emotional job. Um, and an emotional job is how you want to feel or be perceived while using the product. So someone who's buying a, a Tesla Roadster clearly wants to be perceived in a certain way. They're successful. They've spent a hundred thousand dollars on a car. <laughs> that might not be a great decision, but you know they and and they do want the functional job of going very fast. And what I find interesting about uh, Tesla strategy is if you look at the first car, well, one, they're also trying to lower the cost of actually building these batteries. So they're basically subsidizing getting to someone who buys a Tesla three, uh, like me, which I love, but at a much lower cost than it costs the initial battery that rolls off the assembly line. So there is, you know, uh, economies of scale, you know, et cetera, that are going plain here. But if you think about it from a job done perspective, they also want to establish that electric car does not give you the emotional experience of a Prius. So, you know, I'm I'm probably a very typical Tesla owner. You know, I used to have a sports car when I was younger. I like going fast. It's fun. And then uh, 20 years ago, I switched to a Prius. Actually, back then, I, still, I couldn't even get a Prius. They were in such high demand. Um, but what I did get was a Honda Civic hybrid. And then eventually I got a Prius and I was a Prius owner for like, you know, 15, 17 years or something. Um, and I made that decision because there's the functional job I need to get done. And a Prius actually was a great car, a huge trunk. I could just, I could pile so much stuff in the Prius. It was really great. But also I really wanted uh, to help with sustainability and avoid, you know, environmental catastrophe. And also I wanted to be perceived a certain way. Obviously the emotional job was I care about the environment. You know, I didn't drive a Hummer. I drove a Prius that says very different things about you emotionally. Um, but it was always a trade-off on the functional side. I was driving Prius. It was slow. It had no acceleration. So being green or sustainable, which is what electric cars were associated with, is obviously means those kind of trade-offs. What's interesting about launching with the Roadster, and even true with my Tesla 3, as I tell people, it is insanely fast. And I just have the the regular mode. I don't even have the, the super ludicrous mode. Um, and it is insanely fast. It's faster than, you know, sports cars. So that what they wanted to do was show that the normal trade-offs to get the functional job done weren't there. They were breaking through those differences. And right. I think that's still a critical part of their brand. You're not buying a Prius because you want to make compromises. You're buying a Prius because you want higher performance on a lot of dimensions, functional consumption and emotion. You mean uh, buying a Tesla, right? As supposed to be Prius? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Buying a Tesla, of course. Yeah. Prius, it seems like you're definitely willing to make a trade-off. Uh, it doesn't feel as nice on the inside. Uh, it doesn't, the performance isn't great. It's okay. And, and it actually raises a really interesting question about segmentation, because when you think about the job of get to a destination on time, the core functional job of a car, the speed, the max speed at which the car can go and the acceleration at which the car can go is not going to change whether or not you get to a destination on time in most cases, right? It's it's pretty rare that you can go faster than the traffic in your area, especially when you're thinking about a commute. 
And so when you think about acceleration as a need within that functional job, it, it kind of doesn't totally pass muster, right? Because it's not going to, like how fast you accelerate isn't going to change if you get there on time or not. It's all the other factors of the road. So is it a consumption job is sort of the question. And have cars been competing on consumption and emotion for a long time because they haven't been changing the key uh, job of get to a destination on time? Yeah, and I would say, um, and and this is where I think Tesla uh, just thinks about the problem differently, is acceleration, uh, although it's not going to help you get to a destination on time, it actually actually has a safety component. And what I find fascinating about that is it right where I live, there is an on-ramp to a freeway that we use very frequently that is uphill and short. So I get in there and it's right near a place that we go with our kids. So I get in that, our minivan with the four kids and my wife and a bunch of stuff. And, you know, the minivan's not a high performance vehicle. So going uphill into a freeway, it's actually terrifying. I'm like constantly worried we're going to hit by a car because we can't accelerate fast enough to get up to 55 and it's a 50 mile, five mile or zone, which means everybody's going 75 miles an hour. So in a very short period of time uphill, you've got to go 75 miles an hour. And so acceleration actually has a safety component to it. But clearly there's also the emotional, just like it's, it's super fun to accelerate really fast. (laughs) And, you know, that's an emotional experience of being in that kind of control with that kind of speed. Yeah. And so I love this idea that, um, that Tesla has taken on a couple of different emotional consumption jobs uh, in the in the broader customer experience to win, right? So there's the feel like you're having a positive impact on the environment, which is uh, which matters to a segment. And then they took this other job of feel safe, uh, enjoy the fun of accelerating quickly, which isn't always the same segment. There's not a one to one overlap between uh, the green heads and the people who want to go super fast. And they had this really clever product strategy of saying, let's get both groups of people, right? And figure out where they intersect in the premium market for the Roadster and then figure out how to uh, produce our product at a lower cost at scale so we can get more and more of those people who are not necessarily the same, right? Not all the people who are buying a Prius want to go fast. Um, And so I think that's a really, really clever uh, go-to-market approach when you think about it from the jobs perspective. Uh, And there were clearly unmet needs there. Right. You can if you want to go fast, you have to have a, a gas guzzler previous to the Tesla. Yeah, I think that's right. And and also, I think the safety element is very interesting. Um, my wife, uh, there was a story recently of uh, someone in our area who was a car full of 20 year olds. They drove off, drove off a cliff and died. And so my wife was having this discussion with our family about it. And we're all very worried. We all have, you know, kids who aren't yet driving, but we all shared experience of almost dying by driving. Like clearly the, the, the biggest, the closest we ever came to dying for each of us was in some sort of car accident. I've been in car accidents where the car has been totaled. Um, and, uh, and so that day when that, that email thread was going around, my Tesla literally sent me an update and said, uh, news for you. We have self-driving capability. You can come uh, schedule the service and we'll upgrade your car because I already pre-ordered that feature and you can have full self-driving uh, capabilities. Now that's pretty remarkable. Now, even if you don't trust like the fully autonomous you know, self-driving vehicle yet, clearly it can do things like prevent you from driving off a cliff. So all of the different functional elements that include 
uh, you know, getting to a destination time, but also the safety jobs of keeping you safe. Clearly, they've built a platform that they want to continue to improve. In fact, one of the updates I got in my Tesla was like, hey, your car now goes faster, <laughs> which clearly is not going to happen with an internal combustion engine. Just overnight in Wi-Fi, your car gets updated and goes faster. That is also, I think, a key architectural difference. And we talk about product strategies and platforms and how you're building those platforms to satisfy unmet needs over time. And that's what's really fascinating. Tesla is a software-driven car. So their ability to update the software and include new functionality and improve amongst different dimensions is very, very different than any other car. So it if you're going to compete in the future for in the car market you and and this is already true cars all cars have like real profound amounts of software in them but it is interesting that Tesla from the ground up was built you know obviously as a platform designed around software we seem to be making a, a case that Tesla has an outstanding product strategy and is executing on that very well uh, the market has now caught up to that idea why were, were people like Gold, uh, the analysts at Goldman Sachs, who were presumably good at this and pay spend a lot of time thinking about uh, company metrics and what, who's going to be a winner and who's going to be a loser, why were they suggesting selling your stock back in 2018 when it was low? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, the mistake that any valuation of a company, um, generally when someone makes some sort of mistake, is usually around the growth rate. Because it's really, really hard to change margins. You can get higher gross margins and you can cut costs and get higher operating margins. But the growth rate really is everything. And you know, Warren Buffett even says this. He said growth and value are tied at the hip. That makes sense because what the value of a company is is the present value of its discounted cash flows. So you assume that the company is going to go forward and make profits and you discount those profits back to today, and that's your value of the company. It's the Buffett, you know, intrinsic value model. And clearly, people were thinking Tesla couldn't grow, and it was going to have problems with its manufacturing, which would likely include, you know, it hurt its margins, you know, et cetera. And this is where jobs to be done can be really useful in investment analysis. So the better question then Goldman's very, very short-term thinking like, oh, they're going to need capital to survive. You know, they can't figure out their manufacturing problems. We're, is Tesla really satisfying unmet needs in a very big market where they can continue to grow in a way that's differentiated from competitors? I think the, the market is now answering correctly, yes, they are satisfying those needs. And so what Goldman clearly didn't do is look into those needs and say, is this a big growth opportunity? And sure, Tesla's had manufacturing issues. And even in my three, my biggest criticism of the three is the kind of fit and finish. There's things that rattle and it just doesn't feel like, you know, everything's like, super tight, like a modern car, not even a Mercedes, but like just a modern Honda. You know, I'm old enough that I, you know, I was driving in the 1980s and <laughs> cars feel the, the most basic car today feels very different than a car from the 80s. I mean, the, uh, cars in the 80s felt like they were all going to fall apart as you drove them down the you know freeway relative to today. So, but Tesla still lacks a little bit of that, but that's a fixable problem. Manufacturing, anything on your cost side of your equation, you really can control that and fix it. I mean, unless you've got something like, you know, an invention like curing cancer, but that's not really the problem. Uh, 
if you have a problem on the demand side where are people actually going to buy your product, that is the whole problem that Jobs to be Done can be really helpful in solving or evaluating a company, whether why it's successful like Tesla. And just as, as a data point of one, if we were doing Jobs to be Done research, we would you know talk to customers who are trying to get to destination on time, um, and they had functional and consumption and emotion jobs. So if I were interviewing myself, <laughs> I would say, you know, what's the functional job you're trying to get done? And Tesla did an amazing job of that. I'm trying to get to point A to point B, and there are trade-offs along the way. But with Tesla, I don't have to make those trade-offs, right? I, I can go fast when I need to, and I can still feel like I'm helping to do my tiny little part to, you know, save the planet from environmental collapse. Um, and also I feel good about myself. I feel good. I'm driving a Tesla. People know, Hey, Jay probably cares about the environment. Um, and, and also I feel like I can go fast cause I really can. The Tesla is like crazy fast. Um, but also from a consumption standpoint, and we don't talk about this as much in the podcast, but consumption jobs are very important. And there are things like interfacing with the product, learning to use it, maintaining, um, uh, servicing it. Yeah, et cetera. And there's, there's been great MIT articles written about this. Um, so the, those consumption jobs can be important. They're not the market because no one buys a product to interface with it or service it. Um, but they can really influence how people get the functional job done. And in Tesla's case, the consumption jobs, jobs are incredible, starting with the purchasing of it. You go online, you enter your credit card, you get your spot, it shows up, you go to their place, they serve you, you know, cappuccino, <laughs> Um, you're, it's, it's very elegant. They take you to your car, they set you up with the app and you're on your way. It really was just, I mean, I bought a lot of cars in my life, both new and used. And it's just, in every case, it's a horrible experience. Yep. Tesla was clearly an amazing purchasing experience. And then, um, the interfacing with the car is remarkable. My wife has a, a different car <laughs> made by a German manufacturer and the interface with it is insane. It looks like you're in uh, a 747 cockpit. It's got buttons on the console. It's got buttons uh, on the dashboard. It's got buttons and knobs and wheels on the steering wheel, on the front and the back and the sides. It's like, it's like where? what am I supposed to do to, like, start the car, <laughs> let alone, like, <laughs> you know, listen to the music I want to or navigate to where I'm going to go? It's so confusing. Tesla, of course, just has one screen, you know, in very modern, elegant interface design. Um, and it's funny, my wife's been kind of, she doesn't know how to drive it because it's an electric car, so it feels different. And I keep telling her it's it's about as difficult as a golf cart. Like you, <laughs> and, and and the experience for people who don't have an experienced Tesla, there's literally no on off button. You get in and it's already on because it detects your phone and it's already unlocked the car. And when you leave, it already locks the car. And we talk about this all the time. The goal for any interface, the goal for any product is really to get the job done for the customer. And if you're thinking about your product, why does your customer have to go through things like even unlocking and locking the car? Well, today you don't have to do that, right? You've got near field communication. Your phone knows you there. You get in, the car's already started up. So you literally just put it in reverse or forward and you hit the pedal. That's it. It feels like a golf cart. So uh, that really is a, a kind of profound different way of thinking about consumption jobs. And then one final point I'll make is also even on the service side, uh, and people may know Tesla had very big battles around dealerships and not having dealerships with different states because 
uh, dealers make a lot of money from servicing your car. But Tesla, the car doesn't need to be serviced that much. It's just a giant battery. So you're not changing a whole bunch of filters and oil and belts and things. So even I did have my you know windshield wiper fluid not work. And so from their app, I just scheduled it. And the service guy showed up at my house, fixed it while I was there and was gone. It was incredibly painless. And so we measure everything in terms of speed and accuracy. That was much, much faster than having to take it to a dealer by a lot. I didn't have to drive there. I didn't have to make an appointment. I didn't have to wait there and sit while the guy filled out like 50 forms just to like, you know, change one thing. And then, um, and then it was done. So speed and accuracy, like on all these consumption dimensions, much, much higher with Tesla. Yeah. Man, I think we've done an incredible job of establishing how awesome Tesla is uh, and that you could totally beat Goldman Sachs by making a value investment on that. <laughs> um, but that's not the name of the episode. Isn't it? Unfortunately, not how do you beat Goldman. Maybe another episode will do that. So what would you do today to beat Tesla? In thinking through what we're talking about here, they're really killing it on the sustainability emotional job, which has a functional component to it, of course. Uh, the safety, uh, functional and emotional aspects get to a destination on time. They haven't changed a ton. Um, the, the core thing, are, are you going to get there earlier because you're driving a Tesla? Probably not. Right. So could you beating Tesla by creating another car that performs just as well on whether or not you get to a destination on time and has to win on sustainability and all of these other dimensions we've been talking about, how great Tesla is that it will be incredibly difficult. So one area that hasn't totally lost to Tesla has been trucks, right? And SUVs yet there, Tesla has plans to move into this area. They've, they've debuted a pickup to mixed reviews. Um, but trucks are still selling like crazy. And that's because if you think about it, there's a different functional job at hand. It's not just get to the destination. It's also haul equipment, you know, be a base for if you're, if you're a contractor or any kind of, uh, you know, builder who uses tools, you got to store the tools there. You got to bring materials around. There are different functional jobs there. So if you're a car company, that, that strategy is proving out to work pretty well. Like can pick a different functional job other than just get to a destination on time. Don't focus on sustainability as much. Um, and maybe you can, uh, win for now there. No, yeah, I was going to say that's that's right, and and there's tons of ways to look at the transportation domain, you know, to compete in it, um, and of course Tesla in in many ways is very conventional. You get in a car behind a steering wheel and you're driving yourself somewhere, and you know your friends and family. Uh, that's very, very conventional. So you could compete against Tesla. And first of all, it is a humongous market. So it's not like Tesla is going to have 90% of the market. Um, that would be an exception. But um, but you can think about it uh, on, in different dim- functional dimensions like you're getting to with trucks. So um, – and and Tesla is still being very conventional. You know, their SUV, they had the uh, whatever's called the X, and now they have the Y. Those look like very conventional SUVs. Uh, I have to say, as a father of four children, an, a minivan gets the job done way better than an SUV. Now, of course, I have lots of friends who are, you know, uh, horrified that I drive around a minivan, but I, I love that thing. When I got my four kids and, you know, my wife and, you know, some friends and a bunch of stuff in the car, the minivan, it's just, it gets the job done. It's the greatest thing in the world. There's sliding doors, you know, all that. Um, but so that's, that's a functional job that is getting to a destination with a lot of people and a lot of gear. 
And you could look at that very differently. There also is, you know, traveling salespeople. Like, what are you doing on the road in your car is very different than just driving around a sedan. Also, there is just the single person who needs a car. I mean, one of the reasons I love the three is it's smaller. I wanted the smallest car because when we've got the family, we're all in the minivan. But when I'm with myself, it's almost always just me driving myself. There was a car called the Tango that I absolutely love. They couldn't get it to market. I'm pretty sure it's called a Tango, but it's just a tiny one-seater car. It takes up half a lane. The guy who founded the thing had this vision of also reduced traffic because now everybody would be, there'd be twice as many cars in the same amount of road. Um, and I love this thing. It never got to where you could buy it unless you made the custom version. I think like George Clooney bought one or something like that, but it was electric. It was insanely fast because uh, it proved the same Tesla concept. Elect- electric cars can go faster Um than internal combustion cards. And it was built around like an NHRA, like roll cage. So it was incredibly safe, you know, the roll cage that protects 300 mile an hour crashes. So, um, so that's a way you could compete as well is look at the functional job differently where someone's traveling by themselves. That's a big market. And I think this is actually happening over in Asia. Uh, We don't, I don't follow the the, the worldwide car market is closely, but I do believe there are companies in Asia that are competing with Tesla on these kind of different dimensions, very small, you know, uh, single person uh, with some groceries kind of. Yeah, I remember the smart car has done pretty well in Europe uh, because of that. There are small streets, people are, are driving themselves to work because in some cities the public transit isn't great um, and they want to park it in really tiny spots that you can find in Europe where there's not as many painted areas to park. So it's another interesting way that you could go after that. It, it, interestingly, you could innovate on get to a destination on time and get people to their destinations faster and more accurately, but it probably wouldn't be a car because there are so many environmental constraints on a car getting anywhere faster than it does today. Um, and we've talked about that you know, ad nauseum regarding Google and Apple Maps and how you can satisfy particular needs in that job differently with different types of products. Um, we always talk about determining the optimal sequence of making planned stops, but you could also innovate at the job level and think, you know, how could we create a transportation situation in which you can get there faster than you can in a car? Public transit's another option for that, right? Subways are a great innovation for getting around, particularly New York City. It's much slower to get in a cab at certain times a day than it is to get in a subway, and it depends on where you're going as well. Uh, interestingly, Elon Musk is defending himself against that disruption by investing in new solutions for getting to destinations on time, famously with the the Hyperloop. And also he's got a company called The Boring Company, uh, which is digging, uh, uh, creating a faster way and cheaper way to uh, build tunnels so that you can uh, go underneath traffic uh, and have a faster way to get to your destination. And he's looping Tesla into that solution uh, as the preferred mode of transit for the for the electromagnetic platforms he's creating. So I think that's another way to go. But the thing to think about is the risk level. So when you innovate at the job, let's try to make the functional job with a lot of constraints at its topmost level faster and more accurate without thinking through like specific needs that you could go after over time. There's a lot of risk there, right? For Elon Musk has invested a lot of money in the boring company. And there are, you know, that nobody's talking about how that's winning any markets over yet. Uh, it could eventually, but it's a very long-term investment, very expensive. And so you have to think through uh, how you right size 
your product strategy with the investment you're going to make and the timetable you have to get there. And I think that's a critical thing that we don't talk about too much when you're generating your product strategy is what's your level of patience? What's how much capital can you raise to get it done? Um, and what's your likelihood of success if you do get it done? And what are the obstacles standing in your way to make that happen? Yeah, that's great. And I think you could also approach competition with Tesla. I, those are all, you know, of course, great observations um, along the functional job as well. But and we don't talk about this as much, but it's important. You could also innovate against Tesla with business model innovation. Mm-hmm. So clearly, other car companies are trying to build electric cars with GM, BMW, you know, Nissan, whoever, and they're trying to compete with Tesla. And Tesla's actually like opened their patents and said, "Hey, we need more electric cars in the world." Um, because, you know, the earth isn't headed in the right direction. But the other way um, you could compete is on business model innovation. I still had to buy my Tesla. Um, and so, you know, business model is how you generate revenue and what your costs are. So they generate revenue by selling cars. So I bought my Tesla. It sits in my garage most of the time doing nothing. So instead, you could see how, especially with autonomous cars coming, you have a network of cars that are out there that can just when anybody needs to use, if I needed to use the Tesla instead of my minivan, I could call it up and a Tesla would show up. And if I didn't want to drive, I'd you know get in it. It would drive away and take me where I'm going. Or if I was like, hey, I want to experience the Tesla today, you could zip around um, and, uh, and experience the drive. So that kind of business model of innovation, and you know, com- companies like Ford are experimenting with this kind of stuff, where it's you know, kind of rather than ownership of the asset, you're renting it and and coming up with a model that that works, and that does make a ton of sense. Um, and there's still unmet needs, even in getting to a destination on time, that you can compete with Tesla on. Um, and so if you were, you know, a car company looking at Tesla saying, oh my gosh, how are they, I'm, I'm a GM. How is Tesla worth five times what we're worth? We're, you know, obviously a much bigger company. Um, but it's because people see growth. Obviously they see Tesla growing way faster than GM. Um, and in some cases, you know, taking a lot of market share from GM. So what could GM do? And, you know, starting point is still understand the functional consumption and emotional jobs. And then from there, look at those bigger questions of what platform they're going to use and what, um, uh, and then, you know, getting down to the business model level. So it's still like enormous opportunities for innovation, even in an incredibly mature, mature market like automobile. Yeah. So as good as Tesla is, and as much as we like it and as happy as we are to see the story, there are still ways to create product strategies to beat them, uh, which is always fascinates me when we get into these discussions. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks. And, um, look forward to seeing everybody next time. Thanks for listening to our, how would you beat podcast? Visit us at thrive.com. That's T H R V.com to get our free how-to guides and try our jobs-to-be-done software for free.